Coming up next, the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio, episode 20-32. The enemy deceived Eve by giving her a FOMO attack. She started looking around. She was looking for more options. She saw that it looked good for eating. She took and ate and gave to her husband with her. They started looking around and made the wrong choice. They made the deadly choice. That led to a bondage that still reverberates throughout creation unto this day. Hello there, this is Avi Ben Mordechai once again with another ongoing podcast of Real Israel Talk Radio. And today we are going to continue where we left off on the last broadcast with a series of programs addressing the issue of the food of heaven and the food of earth. And it naturally leads into the idea of what is biblically kosher versus what is not kosher. And we're going to basically ask the question, is everything that we eat food? And according to the biblical teachings and narratives of scripture, biblical kosher eating is not a Jewish thing. It's a Yeshua thing. And this is the second program of our multi-part program series that we've entitled Why I Exchanged Salami for Pastrami. It is not just about the natural physical food of earth, but also the spiritual food between heaven and earth. And chatting with me here on this subject is my wife, Suzanne. Thank you for having me, Avi. Hi, everyone. Okay, let's continue where we left off on the last program. Yeah, we were talking about the package of how we get saved by grace through faith, Mm -hmm. and then how shall we live by His kingdom principles, His connections to life, Mm -hmm. and how that whole package has been unraveled and our Western Judeo-Christian societies, it often seems like there is not much of that package left. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about how far do we have to go back to reverse this unraveling? Where did it start? Mm-hmm. And we went back to before abortion and before um, gay marriage, before evolution maybe, even before that, back to when Constantine and The Roman Church took the authority and changed God's law, did away with it. And then we go back further to the garden. And our topic of our talk here, like you were saying, why do we exchange our salami for pastrami? So we go back to where all of this unraveling started, in the garden with a food choice. And discussing here about does God really care about what we eat? Mm -hmm. Does it really matter? It seems so irrelevant whether I put salami or pastrami on my sandwich, right? Years ago, I thought, God's not that petty. But once I had a bit more understanding of what he's teaching us through these metaphors, I realized it's all up to choice. And that initial choice between life and death, the tree of life or the tree of death, Mm -hmm. the choice that Adam and Eve had to make so many years ago and the choice that we have to make every day. You know, I was uh, looking uh, at uh, the story of John chapter 4, Yochanan 4, when Yeshua was uh, talking to this uh, woman from Shomron or Samaria. You know, the disciples had gone off to buy some food 
And while they're gone, Yeshua is addressing this woman. And it says here in John 4, 27, they return back from going on their errand to go get something to eat for everybody, to get some lunch. And it says at this point, the disciples came and they marveled that Yeshua was talking with a woman. And yet no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? What, what's, what's this all about? Now we go to John 4.31. So in the meantime, the disciples urged him saying, Rabbi, eat eat like come on we got some food here have some lunch Mm. and uh, he says to them in 432 i have food to eat of which you do not know and uh, in verse 33 uh it's almost a sense of humor uh they 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 look at one another and they say has has anyone brought him something to eat (laughs) It's like, uh, did, did you did you bring him something to eat? What? Why isn't he hungry now? But Yeshua is talking about food that they don't know about. So uh, that would lead me to this concept that we were talking about earlier, about feeding on something that was not meant as food versus feeding on something that is meant for food. And we want to know what are those two things. And this all comes back to food choice, that by talking about choosing whether you're going to eat something that Yehovah has declared as food versus eating something that he says is not food, it obviously leads us to a choice. The word Bahar, what I found interesting is that other than meaning to choose or to select, it's linked to the concept of looking around. And there's a Hebrew word, bachan, which is the word for a watchtower, which obviously the one standing on the watchtower looks around. What I could glean from that looking idea is that if you're happy with your choice, you don't look around anymore. You found what you were looking for. This word, bachar, the root is bait, Chet Resh, but it always comes back to a two-lettered root. I mean, three-letter roots are very, very common in Hebrew, but there is a parental root. Those are the two-letter roots, and uh, this word that you mentioned, Bahan. The watchtower? Yeah, that actually comes from that parental two-lettered root, Beit Chet. So then all you have is the third position on that root. So noon versus Reish on the third position, Reish. But the Bachan, Bachar, that connection is that of a watchtower, that of looking around, that of checking to see what's going on around you. And uh, of course, that's going to lead to making, uh, you know, choices. This word Bachar, which is the Resh on that third position, but it's still related to this looking around idea in order to make a choice. What struck me with this looking around idea is you look around before you make a choice. And once you make your choice, 
then you stop looking around because you found what you were looking for. Mm. Only when you are not content with your choice anymore do you start looking around again. And we see that in marriages when either one of the partners aren't quite content with their marriages anymore and one or both of them start looking around and that becomes a real problem. That covenant is soon to be broken. So Mm -hmm. we see that same principle and here in Genesis 6 verse 2, the verse reads, The sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair and they took them wives of all which they chose, Bahar. Mm And depending on your interpretation of who the sons of God and the daughters of men in this verse represent, it seems that this refers to spirit beings before the flood who started looking around because they were not happy with the boundaries God put on them. Mm -hmm. And they crossed those boundaries and took what they were not meant to take and they chose something they were not meant to choose. Mm -hmm. And they chose daughters of men. So there is an example of Bahar choice. Mm -hmm. And this didn't end well. Later, the flood came. And it seems to be linked with this event here, right? Mm -hmm. We have Bahar again in Genesis 13, verse 11. Then Lot chose Bahar. He chose him all the plain of Jordan. And Lot journeyed east. And they separated themselves one from the other. Abram dwelt in Canaan. And Lot in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent in Sodom. And interesting here again, we have a choice. It seems like Lot chose to go east. And if we look at the meaning of east in the Bible, Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden towards the east. So metaphorically, if you want to return to the presence of God, you have to go west. That's actually true, you know, because, uh, you know, all these years in the, the synagogue or the Messianic synagogue, we, we always seem to be facing east toward the rising sun. But uh, that's actually not the biblical teaching. Mm-hmm. The biblical teaching is that you go east in order to face west. So you're facing into the Kadosha Kodashim, the Holy of Holies. You don't face east to go into the Holy of Holies, which is uh, something that I think uh, needs to be understood. Uh, You know, whether you're facing east or west, it's not an issue of which is the shorter distance. It's the issue of uh, which direction are you actually facing. And I don't think we're supposed to be facing east at all because that's, got a very negative connotation in terms of uh, facing toward the rising sun. No, we come with the rising sun and we look in toward the west. That's how I would understand it. Yeah, and the metaphor of east is further away from the garden where they started in God's presence. Mm -hmm. And to turn around and return to God's presence would be to go westward. So just as a metaphor, Mm -hmm. we see here that Lot is going east, where Mm -hmm. Abraham went west. And with Lot moving east towards Sodom, we know how that ended as well. And he he had to be saved later Mm -hmm. from his bad choice. Remember when Adam and uh, his wife Hava, when they were in the garden and after they fell, it says that Jehovah took them out of the garden and uh, he sent them eastward, you know, away from the garden. So (laughs) that's where they were. And then when they looked back at the city and the garden in which they were expelled from, um, they could no longer see it. it. It was gone. 
It doesn't say it, but it sure appears to be that they're looking and it no longer is visible to their eyes anymore, as if Jehovah blinded them to be able to see it. So in a sense, I think we're exactly in the same position that, that they were. Well, we can't see it either. And yet we are looking at it in faith. And when we make our choices, either for life or death, that is going to determine whether or not we're going to see it with the eyes of our heart and mind. Mm. Because if we don't choose life, we're not going to see the kingdom of God. We choose death then death mm. is what we get. Yeah. Going further east means further away from the tree of life, right? Is that what you're saying? That, that's kind of what I'm alluding to, yeah. yeah. Now, uh, I mean, and I think it's very biblical. For example, you go to Ezekiel chapter 8 and you go to verse 15. Then he, Jehovah, said to me, referring to Ezekiel, Have you seen this, O son of man? Turn again, and you will see greater abominations than these. So he brought me into the inner court of Jehovah's house, and there at the door of the temple of Jehovah, or Adonai, between the porch and the altar, there were about 25 men with their backs toward the temple or the house of Adonai, or the house of the Almighty Eternal One, and their faces toward the east. And they were worshiping the sun toward the east. And he said to me, Have you seen this, O son of man? Is it a trivial thing to the house of Yehuda to commit the abominations mm which they commit here. For they have filled the land with Hamas, with violence. Then they returned to provoke me to anger. Indeed, they have put the branch to their nose. I'm not going to go off into a whole discussion on that, but that is a metaphor for essentially bending over and uh, passing gas uh, is kind of the general idea in a metaphor. Uh, I don't want to say any more further about that, but uh, that's the general metaphor that even rabbinic Judaism understood from the Hebrew of that particular verse. So I can see them standing with their backs toward the house in the west, facing the rising sun in the east. So their backs toward the Holy of Holies where the presence of God dwelt, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And in the course of bending over in a worship type of position, they are passing gas is what they're doing. The branch to the nose is the metaphor. So I see that as a real a slap in the face of Jehovah or, you know, making Jehovah feel like we just really don't care about you. We're more interested in what we're doing. Isn't so they were looking around. They were not happy, right? They were not happy with the choice they had made. They were not happy with 
the God they served, and they were looking around to make another choice of a different God. I, I think that's exactly what it's pointing to. And so it just brings the term in Hebrew, Beit Chet Resh Bachar, or Bachan, which is the looking around watchtower mm-hmm. idea. It brings so much more emphasis to that term uh, as though we need to stop uh, taking a tour with our eyes, which is why uh, Jehovah brings the, the message of the, of the tzitzit. Right? He says, wear the tzitzit in Numbers 15, 37. He says, you wear the tzitzit because I don't want you taking a tour of the land thinking, oh, they're going to have it so much better. Uh, don't we have a phrase we use? Um, the grass is always greener. Yeah. yeah. The grass always looks greener on the other side of the of the pasture, the fence. And then when you get there, you find out it's not so green after all. And uh, Jehovah says, just follow me. I want you to make choices for good, not for evil. I want you to make choices for life. Not death. And where we look to, our hearts follow. I suppose it depends what choice your heart has made. If your heart made the right choice, then do. Stick with what your heart chose. Jeremiah is the one that says, the heart is desperately wicked. But if he gives you a new heart and he dwells in your heart, then you should follow your heart. Okay, but what if you're not listening to the new heart? That can't be so good. So I suppose it depends which heart you're following. I, I think so. I think so. Uh, you were going to talk about now Exodus uh, 14.7, right? Yeah, um, Exodus 14.7, we have the third mention of Bahar. And Pharaoh took 600 chosen Bahar, chosen chariots, and all the chariots of Egypt and captains over every one of them. And he pursued after the children of Israel. Hmm. So that's mention number three of Bahar. And here we have Pharaoh choosing to pursue the children of Israel. And he ended up losing his army in the Yom Suf. Mm -hmm. So that was not a good choice that he made. Mm -hmm. So there we have three examples, all of them examples of bad choices. Mm -hmm. But that's by no means the first choices, bad choices in the Bible. Let's go to Ecclesiastes 12.1. Remember now your creators, it's plural, not singular. Remember now your creators, In the days of your youth, before the difficult days come, and it's uh, before the evil days come in Hebrew, and the years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them. So notice it says, remember now your creator in the days of your youth. Look at the word youth and see what word it is. Bechorot. Yeah, Bechorot. Notice the root, though. Bachar. Yeah. Youth is the word it's from, the Hebrew root, Bachar. It's like I could put in there, remember your creators in the days of your choosing, in the days when you are able to choose, when you're able to make choices. That obviously looks to me to be an attribute of being a youth when you have the ability to make choices. We have a phrase, we have a, a, a term in English, I'm sure even in Afrikaans in your language, 
Uh, it's harder to teach an old dog new tricks. Yeah, bend the tree while it's young. Yeah. So in other words, when you get old and crotchety, sometimes you just can't make the choices as easy mm. as you can when you're young and you have the ability to make those choices. You have the ability to be shaped and formed because you're pliable. You know, some of those early years of a child up till, uh, I think they say what, between about seven and 10 years old, thereabouts. I don't know the exact years, but the children, when they're in that young age, they're pliable. The hearts of their minds are like a sponge. They pick up all kinds of things. So if you get really old and crotchety and you're kind of like an old dog, the good choices don't come so easy anymore. It sort of reminds me of the tradition to do bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah at a 12, 13-year-old age. 12 for a, a girl in Judaism and 13 for a boy. Huh? Yeah, that, that's the age where they are accountable for their choices, right? Mm -hmm. Up to that stage, you teach a child what the choices are and which choices they should make. But it's not theirs to make yet. They can maybe choose what shirt they want to wear the day or what food they want to eat to a certain extent. But ultimately, they walk in the choices that the parents, within the parents' boundaries. Mm -hmm. But once they have their bat mitzvah or their bar mitzvah, from then on, it's the choices that they need to make and that they're accountable for. Mm. So that would fit as well, that in the days of your youth, when you are meant to choose, do you follow the same God your parents did or do you follow a different one? You have to choose. Your, it's not the God of my father anymore. It now becomes my God or not depending on what you choose. So the older we get, it is anticipated that by the time we get really old... You've already chosen most people, I suppose. And then it's hard. It's harder if you chose wrong. It's much harder to choose differently. And you have consequences of your previous bad choices, I suppose, mm -hmm. that you need healing and correction and you have to go and fix a lot, many years of bad choices. Where we ended last was the first three mentions of Bahar and mm -hmm. they're all mentions of bad choices, but mm -hmm. by no means are they the first bad choice in the Bible that we read about. Okay, so continue on with, uh, with your thoughts here then on the choices. If we said Bahar was the concept it's rooted in the looking around idea. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what the serpent used in Genesis 3. Mm -hmm. um, he first tempted Eve to be unhappy with the options that she had. So he got her to be discontent with the food choices she had. There's more. God's withholding his best from you. And she started desiring something different. My uh, sons t taught me a word, FOMO. I don't know how many people out there have mm -hmm. heard of that before. Mm -hmm. It's an acronym for fear of missing out. And apparently a lot of young people suffer from FOMO today. I suppose, especially with being locked up with COVID mm -hmm. most of the time, mm -hmm. they are actually missing out on things. Mm -hmm. But here, the enemy deceived Eve by giving her a FOMO attack. And um, she started looking around. And the Bahar concept was set in motion. She saw the tree of knowledge of good and evil of which God commanded them not to eat. She was looking for more options. She saw that it looked good for eating. She took and ate and gave to her husband with her. So they started off with the ability 
to choose and even the directive to choose. They had clear instructions of what a good choice would be as well as the consequences of a bad choice. Mm-hmm. Yet they started looking around and made the wrong choice. They made the deadly choice that led to a bondage that still reverberates throughout creation and to this day. So there we have an example of a bad choice where the options that they had to eat from that just weren't good enough and they started looking around for something else. Didn't end well. No, it just didn't end well for them at all. Okay, we're going to stop right here and continue where we left off after we take a short break and then we'll return with the uh, discussion about biblical kosher and really addressing the issue, is everything that we eat food according to the Bible? Uh, fitting in with the biblical teachings and narratives of Scripture, biblical kosher eating is not a Jewish thing. It is a Yeshua thing. And I'll be chatting with Suzanne on the subject, why I exchanged salami for pastrami. Stay with us. We'll be back. You are listening to Avi Ben Mordechai and the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio, episode 20-33. Welcome back to the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio. Once again, here's your host, Avi Ben Mordechai. Hello there once again, Avi Ben Mordechai here with my wife Suzanne. And we're posing the question, is everything that we eat food? according to the biblical narratives. Uh, We're going to learn about this and the idea of choice and what it means to make choices, either for life or for death. The answer is going to fit beautifully within the biblical teachings and narratives of Scripture that eating biblical kosher is not a Jewish thing. We like to think so, but it's not. It's a Yeshua thing. Let's continue. In um, South Africa, we often have the opportunities to go to game reserves. And we learn along the way some information about the wildlife of Africa. And this reminds me of what happens with lions. When there is a young lion that is challenging the male lion of a pride, if he challenges him for the pride and he ends up winning... He does a power grab, right? And what happens then is typically that new victor will kill all the lion cubs and he will mate the lionesses and make sure that his seed gets implanted into all the lionesses so that all the Mm. cubs that get born Mm. would be carrying his seed and they would producing his offspring. And to me, it, it seems clear that's what the serpent did here in the garden. He was doing a power grab. Um, We see that a few more examples of that in the Bible, example where um, after Noah became drunk and his son Ham slept with his mother, Mm -hmm. he was doing a power grab Mm -hmm. from his father Mm -hmm. and he was producing his seed in his mother and showing through that that he would be taking over the leader role from his father. We have in um, 2 Samuel 16, verse 22, we have another power grab um, example with David and his son Absalom doing a power grab from his father. 
We read here, So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the top of the house, and Absalom went into his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. So again, he wanted his seed implanted into his father's concubines, saying, I am reproducing my seed from now on. And I think that's what happened here. There were two trees each representing a different word. The one is the word of God. Mm-hmm. The one is the word of the serpent. And which word, we read in, in the Gospels, mm-hmm. the seed is the word. Mm-hmm. And which word is going to be implanted in which soil mm-hmm. and which word will be producing its fruit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this begins to uh, reveal a, a really interesting picture of this idea of choosing uh, what we are going to allow to come into our hearts and our minds by the way of choice. I'm thinking of, you know, the overall picture of what's going on in the Garden of Eden, Gan Eden. So the serpent was doing a power grab. He wanted to be the strong man in the situation. Well, yeah, I mean, he comes over and he says, okay, uh, why don't you choose this tree over this tree? After all, uh, God said, hey, you can have whatever you want out of this tree. I mean, this is uh, Genesis chapter 3, the way he's presenting it. He ended up plundering Adam's marriage, right? Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, that's what it looks like to me. Yeah, This seems to fit really well with a teaching that Yeshua did in Matityahu, or Matthew chapter 12, and verse uh, 24. Uh, This was a discussion between Yeshua and the religious leaders of the day, the Purushim. The Purushim of the Pharisees, when they were listening to some things that Yeshua was saying about the, uh, you know, son of David and all of this teaching involved there, They respond and they say, this fellow does not cast out demons except by Baal Zavuv, or the Lord of the Flies, Baal Zavuv, uh, the ruler of the demons. But Yeshua then responds because he knew their thoughts (laughs) And he says to them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself will not stand. Then he says in verse 26, if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? How will it have any authority if he's casting out demons by himself? It doesn't make any sense. So Yeshua then says, if I cast out demons or those demonic entities by Baal Zavuv, then he says, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they shall be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of Jehovah, surely the kingdom of Elohim, or God, has come upon you. Then he tells a story, a parable, beginning in verse 29. How can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods 
unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house. So then he says, And he who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. So this uh, story of the strong man has a, a really powerful teaching connection for us. To me, this fits well with the power grab that we were talking about. In the Garden of Eden, Adam was meant to be the strong man in the word and in the truth of his creation. He was meant to be the strong man for his family, right? Mm -hmm. And then the serpent came he bound Adam, mm -hmm. and then he plundered his house. The enemy became the strong man. So Messiah is saying he is going to reverse that situation. He came to fix, to correct that binding which happened right in the beginning. So the power grab, now the strong man, is the serpent. So he has to bind the enemy and loose Adam or mankind from that bondage mm -hmm. so that we can walk in our calling again and be the strong man and be in dominion on earth as we were meant to be. Let's go to Psalm 61 verse 3 and Proverbs 18.10. Let's look at these two verses together. Psalm 61 verse 3 and Proverbs 18.10 to understand this idea of choosing, we do not want to give the power of darkness the right or the authority to plunder our house. For you have been a shelter for me, a strong tower from the enemy. The bridegroom is the strong man, but he was intended to be the strong man, the Gibor, the mighty man. The strong man of Jehovah, he's calling him my strong tower, my Migdal, my tower. And there's where I look around and I see my enemy can't have any power over me. But if I become weak, it's like Satan has come to do a power grab on me, and therefore he plunders my house, my tent, this soul of mine. It's a house. So the serpent, the Nahash, the Satan, he comes to plunder my house. But what happens if I do not let the strong man in me, that is Messiah, if I don't let him have the complete authority in my life. Then Nahash, the serpent of Genesis 3, comes in and he binds my strong man so that I can no longer be the man that Yah wants me to be. Yeah, absolutely. And he successfully does a power grab. Absolutely. He certainly does. But I can do all things through Messiah who strengthens me. So through him... I am a strong man. I'm a strong man in the second Adam, in Messiah. Then I go to Proverbs 18.10. The name of Jehovah is, is a strong tower. The just or the righteous run to him, not it, him, and are safe. 
there we have our our watchtower, Bahan. If we are on our watchtower and we see the enemy coming, then we can be prepared. And in him, we have the opportunity to have the discernment. Um, interesting, if you look at Deuteronomy 10, verse 17, he is our Gibor. Hagibor, yeah. That's what it says in Isaiah 9, verse 6 in English, verse 5 in Hebrew. A child will be born to us, a son given. The government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor El Gibor. That's mighty God, El Gibor, everlasting father, and Sar Shalom, prince of Shalom, or prince of wholeness. So I see here very clearly what you are saying, that the whole idea is that he is a strong tower. But if we let that tower crumble in us, if we do, then we open our house up as a tower that is crumbling. Open up to a different strong man. I mean, Genesis 10 verse 8, And Cush begat Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one in the earth, a strong man, a gibor. Mm. So then there was a different gibor mm. in your life or in your heart. Mm. So again, the power grab concept. And what is sad to me is we are talking here about choice, right? Mm -hmm. And if you think about Jehovah's commandment to Adam and Eve was to eat from every tree in the garden. Mm -hmm. Only one tree they were not to eat from. They had a lot of variety. Um, they had two choices, life or death. But within the choice of love, they had so much variety. Mm -hmm. Yet they started looking around because FOMO kicked in. The enemy deceived them with this fear of missing out, right? Mm -hmm. And that one thing that they were not allowed to have, they were um, lusting after, looking around after something else, mm -hmm. and that made them eat from that tree. And all the variety that God gave them was just not enough. And out of the two choices they had, they chose death. That is really amazing. And so that brings us to Deuteronomy 30, verse 15, see, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil, and that I command you today to love Jehovah your Elohim, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commandments, his statutes, and his judgments, that you may live and multiply and Jehovah, your Elohim, will bless you in the land which you go to possess. But then in verse 17, if your heart turns away so that you do not shema, you don't hear. In other words, if your heart turns away and you say, ah, I don't care. I don't need to be a strong man. I'll just go ahead and be weak. Well, the serpent is going to come and he's going to plunder our house. He is going to do a power grab, yes. And these two trees were actually two different words. Mm. The word of Jehovah or the word of the enemy. And whichever tree they ate from would reveal which word they would believe or mm. trust or follow, right? Which word would they look to to direct their choices? Which word would they eat? 
and whose fruit or whose seed would they be growing and birthing? So it then says in Deuteronomy 30, verse 18, Moses says, I announce to you that you will most certainly perish for you shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go in and possess. I call heaven and earth, verse 19, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today in you. I know it says against you, but the Hebrew is, I call heaven and earth as witnesses in you that I have set before you today life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your seed may live. Seed is the word. May the word live in those of us who choose life because there is no death in Yah's vocabulary. He doesn't want death. He separates himself from death because death has no part of him. He wants us in life. So Mm. it's up to us to make the choice. Yeah, our choices are no different. Our choices are no different today than it was for Adam and Eve and for Israel after they stood at that mountain, right? And the enemy still uses FOMO tactics today, making us think we're missing out if we can't have that bacon and lettuce sandwich. Um, No wonder we read in Hebrews 13, verse 5, it says, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Hmm. So there we have it. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Don't Hmm. look around like Eve looked around and coveted for something else. Don't be deceived by, by this FOMO tactic of the enemy but be content with what you have. And don't be like Adam, who lost his ability to be the strong man for his wife, his woman, in the garden. Yeah. So Eve started looking around, and Adam got bound, and his house got plundered. And the enemy did a power grab on him, and he became the strong man in the house. I mean, the Nahash, the serpent, became uh, the, the, the strong man, the enemy, yeah. But I'm saying that the Nahash, the serpent of Genesis 3, he was never meant to be the strong man. He was never meant to take over no, and he'd... plunder us and bind us. We're supposed to bind him. Yeah, he did a power grab. He wasn't meant to be the strong man. But he broke into the house, bound the strong man, and then he became the strong man. So if we're the strong one in Yeshua, in Yehovah, right? And he comes along and gets us derailed, the serpent, the the Nachash, if he gets us derailed, is he not binding us so that we no longer have the strength to rely on Yehovah to get us through to life? We end up... Uh, you know, giving into depression and all worry and all kinds of things. We we do that because we give in to the one who comes in, binds us instead of us binding him. Yeah, absolutely. And then he sows his seat into the woman and she produces his offspring like the lions in Africa do. They They take over from the strong man of the pride. And then they sow their seed and produce their offspring, the new lion coming in and taking over. You know, I find this interesting because the soul, the nephesh in Hebrew, our soul, it's actually in Hebrew, it's feminine. It's a feminine term. 
In other words, our soul is kind of yeah. like a woman. It's feminine. Yeah, like Mark 4, our hearts represent the soil that the seed gets planted into. That's the woman mm-hmm. that produces his seed instead of the seed of the word. So, in other words, uh, you know, our soul can get uh, bamboozled. Uh, the seed can get planted into our soil and we can become bitter and depressed and hopeless and angry and we live our lives subjected to the flesh and to all of the things of the flesh. Absolutely. Suzanne, thanks for joining me today on this little discussion. Let's continue on talking about uh, salami and pastrami and the kosher and all the other stuff, because kosher is more than food. It's the food of heaven, not just the food of earth, okay? Maybe next time we can talk a bit about distinctions. How do we know the difference between these choices? When is it something that's variety within the choice of life? And when is it variety within the choice of death? And how do we recognize those distinctions in order that we can choose life? I think that's a great idea. Thanks, Suzanne. And uh, just go ahead and say bye to everybody and we'll come back again. Shalom, everyone. Hope you join us again next time. Yeshua HaMashiach, He will save all Israel. Hallelujah. Yeshua HaMashiach, El with us, Emmanuel. Hallelujah. Yeshua HaMashiach, He will save all Israel. Let us rejoice and let us worship the King. With all the heaven, let us praise His name. There is no Elohim on heaven and earth like the Elohim of Israel. Hallelujah, Yeshua HaMashiach, El with us, Emmanuel. Hallelujah, Yeshua HaMashiach, He will save all Israel. Yeshua HaMashiach, El with us, Emmanuel. Hallelujah. Yeshua HaMashiach, He will save all Israel. Blessed is He who does the Torah of Yah, who keeps my Sabbath from defiling it. And keeps his hand from doing unrighteousness. Him in my house I will admit. Even the eunuch and the foreigner. Who keeps my Sabbath and my covenant. Him I will make my own inheritance. 
as we've been candidly chatting about the issues of what is considered food in the biblical teachings and narratives of Scripture, things that apply really personally to all of us, whether it's in heaven or on earth. As Yeshua said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. So, why should we, in fact, be observing biblical kosher laws? Well, we're setting a strong foundation to understand this based on our ideas of the Bible and its teachings of choices and distinction and all about the idea of choosing between life and death. We'll come back next time. Shalom Aleichem. Shalom Aleichem. 